Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. So inadvertently, this um, couple of messages we've called Recalculating, it's about what happens when you get, you've lost your way, uh, either through being stalled or... or, uh, um, life has taken you down a certain path and you think, how did, how did I get here? How do I get back? And um, this week I'd like to really wrap that up by finishing off uh, last week's message, which I only really got halfway through, uh, talking about God's dealings with uh, Elijah, who became very disillusioned, uh, had served God with all that he had, all that he had, and then suddenly just tripped over and couldn't find his way back and the way that the Lord took him like the heavenly GPS said, Elijah, turn left. Elijah, keep turning left. I'm going to get you home. And I want to finish off that passage today on a different form of being stuck. 1 Kings 19 is a passage. If you've got that in your Bible or your app, open that up. Verse 12. So after this is the scene in the cave on Mount Horeb. Uh, God has told Elijah, hop, out, hop on out of the cave. I'm about to pass by. Uh, read into that, I'm going to do what I did with Moses in the same spot all those years ago because it was the same mountain. Horeb was Mount Sinai. I'm, going to, I'm about to pass by. And this is Elijah who's used to experiencing God through fire and, and flame and all that. But he doesn't go out. And finally he hears the still voice and then he goes out. This is new. God's leading me in a different way. This is God's inside voice. He's not speaking through his outside voice. And God speaks to him again as he'd done the first time. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, turned down your, uh, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The same words, word for word, that he'd said to God previously in the same setting. He can't change the tune. The record's stuck. He can't get his brain to think any other way. I've been your guy. No one else has. Um, I turned up. Where are you? And uh, that may echo a little bit with, with your own sentiments sometimes. God, I've fought the fight. God, I've done the stuff. Now I'm feeling bad and life's not going the way I want. Uh, where are you now? But when we get stuck like that, the cave, similar to the cave that Elijah was in, becomes our home. We want things to change because the pain in our heart is there, so we want the things that's causing it to go away. But we don't particularly want to change. That's not on our mind. We don't feel strong enough. We're, we're in our weakest point, the, the tide's gone out on our strength, so we just want God to fix it. We decide the direction he was taking me on is too hard. I'm going to put my energy somewhere else. And this sort of, this is called, I'm calling it today, stuckness. It's not lostness, it's just getting stuck. And I don't know whether you've ever been stuck in your life. The most dangerous moment is when you don't realise you're stuck and you've been stuck for a long time, so long that you've just, it's become the norm and now you think this is life and I'm stuck. There's emotional stuckness where the same triggers that triggered you in your early 20s still trigger you in your late 50s, the same panics, the same things cause you to go into depression or anger or force you back into addiction again. It's emotional stuckness. You haven't found a way to get out of this equilibrium of stuckness. It's like you're caught in a spider's web and you can't, no matter what you do, if I pull, it just pulls back and you're stuck there. There's relational stuckness where I'm having the same dysfunctional cycle that I've had my whole life. 
I start again, I make a new friend, the friend lets me down, we have an argument, we split up, oh, I'm alone again. God, where are you? It's not God's fault, it's just relational stuckness. It could be like Elijah, he's just disillusioned. I gave it all once again and it all turned south on me and now here I am stuck in the cave with the blanket over my head. Sometimes it's circumstantial. Sometimes it's just that you're waiting for life to change but it hasn't changed and so you're forced or you feel forced into a holding pattern. You go, well, God's not doing anything. I'm waiting for the doors. The doors are all there. I can see them but they're not opening up and you're waiting for God to do something but you're stuck assuming that it's God's will that you're stuck but it may not be the case. There's spiritual stuckness where you're going through the motions, you turn up at church, you, you read the books and you do all the stuff, you've got the podcast going in and you know more, there's more knowledge going in there but there's no more fruitfulness than there was years ago. We can all fall into that one. In fact, the statistic, uh, try that again, the st- statistics would say in any church except this one that at any point up to 50%, get that number, half the people in a church are stalled in their faith or stuck in a sense of being dissatisfied. Not so much with their faith, but with their church. 50%. And the stalled ones are those who um, have been living according to the best that their own strength can muster. They've fought the fight with all that they've got, but they're, they're hitting the barrier. And they can't go any further. They're stalled. They can't overcome their addictions or whatever it is, the emotional stuff. But the dissatisfied ones is way more dangerous, I feel, for a person's own faith space. Because they're the high givers, they're the high contributors, they're the highly committed ones, and they sit in church and they go, I am just so dissatisfied right now. I'm just going through the motions out of a sense of obligation and I'm doing it because I have to, but I'm managing this residual tension of just being a little bit cranky all the time. And that stat alone is normally 15 to 20% in church life. It's terrible news for a pastor to know people are stuck in that space. But to be honest, pastors can get stuck in that space too. I read one survey where they asked pastors, uh, uh, is, are, you, are you pastoring the church that you would go to if you weren't pastor? What's the stat? 10% are going, uh, serving in a church that they would go to. They don't even like what they're doing. That's tough. Because what happens with our life, especially in ministry, if you're a server of God, is your, your zealousness and your enthusiasm opens doors in the ministry and you get involved because you love it. But the extra load that that puts on you, unless you're able to change and evolve your walk with God to match the increased expectations, then that which once was a joy becomes a labour. And you become dissatisfied. Now all you see is the faults. You know what calling to ministry looks like? Really? An open door in a ministry? It's what all the guys do when they get here at 7am in the morning and the seats aren't set up and the baptismal's not full when it's supposed to be and the IT's not working. There's the calling. That's easy to get dissatisfied when that goes on. If, you, if your mindset isn't, I get a chance, I get the opportunity to serve and sacrifice and even suffer a little bit for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. As soon as you lose that, you, you, get, you enter this whirlpool of dissatisfaction. So there's a number of factors around this, and I want to go into this because Elijah found himself in this space. One of the factors is that our expectations and cultural norms of our life um, are different to God's. We 
See, Elijah wasn't expecting that he'd have a contract put on his life. He said, God, I'm in. He's been through the wilderness period for a few years. He's come back. He's pointed the finger at the king. Rain's calm. Prophet's dead. But this contract thing, you mean I'm looking behind me every two minutes waiting for someone to stick a dagger in my back? I didn't sign up for that. See, the expectations, there was a mismatch going on there. It's like the disciples. They weren't expecting a call to take up their cross. It's like, hang on, I didn't read that in the fine print. You said fishes of men. I didn't see this die thing. And we start to say little things in our heart. That can't be expected. It's too hard, God. I can't go that way. And it requires us to go periodically to have a sober rethink of our calling and what that really means. Because what we do, it's, it's, it's understandable. We have an unconscious uh, conditions on our contract with God, where we sincerely say, you know, I'm, I'm yours, God. Make my life count for you. I'll do anything. But then there's the unspoken caveats in there. Don't let anyone try and kill me. Uh, let me get eight hours of sleep. Make sure my retirement plan's covered. Keep me in steady employment while it's all going on. Let me meet the perfect person while I'm serving you who's got the same vision as me and it's all going to work out happily ever after. There's, that's the contract. And sometimes we don't even know that until the contract's not met. And we go, hang on, I did this, where you at? Or it's the understandable expectations that we have that we sense God's called us to a certain direction in life. I'm heading north, but there's no door open north. And so we sit there waiting for the north door. And the only door that opens is, is the east or the west wing. You know, it's like, yeah, but I can't go there, uh, there because you've called me there. But the route to there quite often is around that way. And, and we place these caveats on God. You've called me to that. That's what I know. And we let what we know rob us of what we don't understand. And so we don't take that path. We find ourselves stuck. So it's like the missionary who feels called to, to Africa or India but won't, go there, won't get a job in the meantime while they're waiting for that door to open. And so years go by. see this way too often. seen it in my own life. And so these are our cultured 21st century Western predominantly views of what God might expect of our life. And so by doing that, we block ourselves off from some of the things he might be saying and leading. Jesus sees it very differently, and it's almost like he, he, um, he put the sign out to the disciples in, in Luke chapter 9, like, let the buyer beware. Uh, you just need to know what you're buying yourself in for. Um, you can't earn your way into heaven. You, you do this. I've done this for you. This is grace. This is faith. You're, you're relying on me. But let me, let me remind you that it's, it's all or nothing here. I've done it all for you. I've given up everything for you, but, but it's all or nothing for you. Luke 9, 57, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Foxes have dens, birds have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. See the conditions there. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another, I'll follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back. is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. It's like, whoa. Would Jesus really say that? I would never say that. But uh, Jesus said that. So when we say yes to Jesus as Lord, we've got to understand there are no subclauses in that, really. It's, it's all or it's nothing. It's going to be a moment when it's uncomfortable to our Western life, to anyone's life. There's an expectation of, of mission, that being prepared uh, and passionate about sharing our lives and, and the good news. It's, like it's expected that we are, God sent Jesus Jesus sent the Spirit, Spirit sends you. This is all part of the deal. 
radical generosity and sharing. It's just, it's just expected that we have a, we, an, an awareness of all that's been given to us, and so we freely give. There's an expectation of desire, of a dedicated pursuit of a relationship with God, that we don't just play church, we don't just play religion, we don't just look like we're supposed to look. Our, our heart is for Jesus. Our heart pursues him because we don't want to know more rules. We want to know the guy. We want to know him. We want to know the author of the book, not just the text. There's an expectation of mercy, of, of stopping for the one, of helping the helpless. There's an expectation of laying down your idols, even maybe even your life, for the gospel. And some of us here may get that opportunity in their life. But if we find ourselves saying no to these, putting the caveats on, what we're doing is we're, we're committing ourselves to getting stuck. We're just, we're just thrown out an anchor and saying, this is as far as I'm going to be able to go in my walk with God, and so we get stuck. But God has this just way of saying something like, get on with it, just get going. You know, when we, when we started this church, uh, it was this time last year, uh, and I sat in the, in the cafe in the chairs over there, and I'm giving all the arguments. I already said no, that I wasn't going to do this. Get behind me, Satan, words like that. Um, I had this expectation of God. I had, I had an expectancy. And I'm thinking in my head, there's just no way God would uproot me again. I've just moved. I've just sold a house, moved, done the other one up. I've just been through all the hard stuff in that church, and now we're starting to get some traction. I'm only three years into a 10-year commitment. And I'd said to God one thing, if I go, I'm never coming back to a place called Kenmore. <laughs> you laugh at that. Hey? I, <laughs> that was a bitter pill for me. Not that I don't love Kenmore. I love it. I, I loved it too much. I had to say in my heart, I've got to go. And I've got to, if I'm going to go, it's got to be with no conditions on that. And so when some rooster comes and signs me up to come back here, I'm saying no. And when I'm sitting out there, I finally take a breath to talk to God about it. You know what he told me to do? Get on with it. Didn't sound very gracious to me. It's like I'm giving him all the Elijah arguments. You know, I've done this and I've done that. He's saying, look, you've been fighting this fight for 15 years. Just get on with it. Just get on with it. So I was done. He goes on to Elijah, verse 16 and 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. In other words, just get on with it. He's arguing and God's not responding because he's talking a different language to God's language. He's saying, I'm not going to engage in this conversation with you like this, Elijah. That job I gave you to do, I haven't changed my mind. This calling that's on your life, it's irrevocable. There's important things to do, Elijah. I'm not casting you out. It's time for an upgrade. How about you get to work and, and now that you've cleared the prophets out, let's, let's now clear the culture. Let's clear the governance structures now. That, anoint this guy, anoint this guy. And now it's time for you to get an upgrade too. Anoint this guy to take your place. Succession in the kingdom. Everyone gets the upgrade. So it's time for it to get on with it. And get on with it. I'm with you. And so these contract clauses we need to pull out of our arrangement with God. The second factor I just wanted to talk into was just the reason we get stuck is our ability to endure discomfort, uh, stretching. Uh, it's capacity. What's our heart capacity? What's, what's, what's the ticker got in it? And we get stuck based on the capacity of our heart. And what we find there is that stuckness is much more 
an issue of capacity than it is of calling. Because we tend to say, well, I'm stuck in this place. God, it must be God's will for my life. Because I've done all that I can do in my own strength. And if God hasn't opened a door, it must be because he isn't ready. But more often the case, it's because we aren't ready. Because God doesn't open the doors until we're ready. And this is so often the case in our ministry. And it's at this point we need to broaden our understanding. Remember last week we talked about Israel knows his works, um, Moses knows God's ways. Here is where we start to tap into God. What are you, what's your way with me here? I talk a lot about a thing called wilderness. Um, and, and when we get stuck and stalled in our life, we assume, oh, this must be a wilderness season because I'm not going anywhere. But it's not always the case. Sometimes it's just stuckness. I just haven't got the ticket for it right now and I need to grow my capacity. See, a wilderness is an invitation to worship. Um, the Israelites were called from Egypt, let my people go so they might come into the wilderness and worship me. It's an invitation to lean into God in a new way. Whereas breaking out of stuckness is about breaking out as opposed to leaning in. It's like, no, let's, let's crack open these walls because they don't belong in my life like this. In a wilderness, all forms of natural supply are cut off. It's like God finds a way to cut off all the earthly, worldly ways that we find our meaning and says, now you just got to deal with me. Now it's just me. Now I'm going to meet your needs. It's a wilderness time where he just draws us to life through leaning in. Whereas a stuckness season is where external and internal forces are just too much and they're pressing you in. It's a very different dynamic, but it can feel the same. In a wilderness, it's a transition from a slave mindset to a sonship mindset, to a son and daughter. It's like I, I, I stop living for God and I start to live f- with God, from God. It's a partnership. It's a relationship starts to form. And it's almost like he draws us in, he brings us in into this relationship. When it's a breakout of stuckness, we go from being a son to an heir, as the, as the song leaders were saying. It's like, no, no, I'm a co-heir with Christ. It's time to push the boundaries back. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It's time to press on. It's time to break out and break through. Both are a call to engage with God in a new way, one through retreating, one through advancing. And so the ways of God, we need to understand how this begins to work in our own life. How do you understand what God's doing? You've got to talk to him about it. You've got to get in the quiet place with him and see what's going on. Zerubbabel, if you can say that name 10 times quick, Zerubbabel was a guy in the Old Testament. He was a classic case of stuckness. Faithful guy, doing what God called him to do. The, the exile had ended and he was commissioned. He was a son of royalty. He was exiled, uh, called to come in, in partnership with a priest called Joshua to come and rebuild the sanctuary. It was time to get Jerusalem going again. And that was his calling. And he started well and he built the altar and there was a bit of worship going on. But he came under pressure, uh, as we all do. As soon as you start to advance in life, it's like the further I press forward, the further the equilibrium force comes to push back at me. And he come across this politically and with relationships. And everything started to come against him. When he wasn't moving, nothing was going on against him. But as soon as he starts to move, it's like, oh, I feel the pressure now. And if I turn this way, oh, I'm feeling that. So he got stuck in that spider's web that we get stuck in. I can't move now. I'm done. The fear of man, political pressure, caught him in there for 14 years. Knowing God's call upon his life. And he's, seeing, he's probably thinking to himself, well, it mustn't be God's will just yet. Even the people started saying, if you read all the scriptures, and there's, there's three or four writers in there that contribute, Haggai 1 verse 2, the people started saying, it's not time to build a temple. 
Ever heard God's people start to say that when it goes wrong? Oh, it just mustn't be God's time. Yeah, it was time. Get on with it. Press through. And God starts to work. He says, I'm done with this. I've got a job to do. You guys need to get into it. So he starts speaking through the prophets. And Haggai 1.13, it says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you. Here's the deal breaker. Here's the thing that catalyzes us out of this thing. I am with you. Therefore, you can go. I'm with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. The Lord's word, this is what we need in our hearts. You need to hear from God and hear him say, hey, I'm with you. I've called you. I'm there. Therefore, we can go. Zechariah 4, was another, uh, Zechariah was another prophet. Chapter 4 talks about what he said. I love this passage. And you've probably heard it, but maybe not known the context. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. You can just imagine God's getting cranked up. Come on. You got nothing, but you got me. Let's go. We're going to get this thing done. What are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You'll become level ground, and then he'll bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. What a weird sentence. What does that mean? The capstone was the first part. Saying when... Other verses there say where, when he brings out the plumb line, when he starts to measure up. In other words, when he's starting to make a commitment, we're going to get this thing going. I don't know how we're going to do it. I've got no more strength than I had yesterday, but God said it. God's with me, and I'm going. I'm going to start measuring up where I'm going to build this thing. And he brings a capstone out, the first stone that just says we're underway. And it says when that capstone comes out, then the motivation is going to come with all the people, and they're all going to start shouting, God bless that capstone. We're off again. Another translation says uh, grace, grace. God's presence, God's presence, God bless it, bless it. And nothing excites us like a little bit of progress. Nothing deflates us like things going nowhere, does it? But the great catalyst here is God's with you, God's with you, God's with you. So bring out the capstone, let's get on with it. And then we realise that you know, our direction is not set just by how big I am. When we're talking about capacity, this stuckness thing that we get in, you've given it your best shot. You've done all that you have. The, the increase of capacity is learning how to partner with God because it's not about how big you are, it's about how big God is in you. And that's the game changer. So letting God recalculate your path and just getting on with it. So uh, you know, if you're lukewarm in spirit, if you're saying, look, I've just been in this place for a few years, then you've got to put a capstone down. You've got to say, let's just get the measuring line out. Let's just get on with it. I've been stuck here and nothing's changing. So I'm going to start worshipping and praying in a new way. I'm going to read the Bible in big chunks now. I'm going to change some things up. Maybe you're addicted to something and you just find yourself going back. Well, learn to fill your heart with other desires. Put a capstone down. Just start. Small steps. Get on with it. Maybe you don't know what to do. You're just saying, I'm just here and, and I just don't know what to do. I, I, I literally don't know where to turn. Well, it really is simple. Just do something. Just do, just do anything. And I've found that so many times where you're waiting for God's direction in life and you think, well, just put your hand to anything and once the motor starts moving, you find now you can hear God saying, no, okay, over this way. And you, you try things, you get involved, you make a commitment and get started and then you begin to hear God's calling in your life. So let me give you a few ways quickly. There's another message in this thing. I've got another 15 pages of notes. Tyrone, you can help me out with this next time or something. I'll give you a few points and then, uh, and then I, just, I do want to pray through all this because I just believe God wants to stir up some of our hearts. God wants to stir your heart. 
Recalculate your thinking. Here's the first step. We've got to recalculate the way we think. We've got to get a biblical vision for life. We've got to stop doing in the Elijah, stop arguing with God about what we know is wrong. Stop reminding him of all the things that he already knows about and start getting into alignment and into agreement with the way God thinks. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? It's like a three-legged race. You can't walk if you're out of step. And God's saying, I'm with you. Get into step with me. you just got to start thinking like I think. And many of us struggle to hear from God because we're just not in agreement with him. We're trying to convince him of all that's wrong. And he already knows that, but he just doesn't agree that it's the thing that gets us stuck. He replies, I'm with you. See, the truth is you're never too old. You're never too young. You're never too anything when it comes to God and his calling. You can't blame your situation. You can't blame the lack of resources. You can't blame your bad mood. You can't blame your IQ. You can't blame anything. But if you think you can't do something that God's called you to do, then you just won't do it and you'll find yourself stuck. But we've got to learn how to trust God's grace because he is with us and his grace is enough. So first step, recalculate your thinking. Next one is recalculate your barriers. Recalculate, reassess what's standing in front of you. What stopped the Israelites going into the promised land? It wasn't the giants, it was the way they viewed them. And we've got to look at our giants again and go, who are you, mighty mountain? standing before me and before God. We've, I've let you intimidate me. I've let my interpretation of you stop me, but God's telling me to go and he's going to kick you out of the way. He's going to level that ground. So we're going to start to think, what exactly am I afraid of here? What exactly do I consider is stopping me? Am I, is my assumption and my logic just saying it's going to stop me because I haven't got any more strength or is it saying it's not going to stop anything because God's stronger than that? So recalculate your barriers. Recalculate the sub-clauses in our contracts with God. Wipe them out, scrub them out, put your initial there and say it's done. That thing's not there anymore. But most of all, you know, that could be mistaken for self-help stuff, right? The bottom line is we need God and we need to start walking with him. We need to start partnering with him, understanding his power. Like even for the worship service, it was just great that we stopped for a moment just to pray for healing. And if you're not used to that, just give us permission a little bit to ride with that because I just don't want to ever walk in this place and get a sense that God wants to do something and be too constrained by how long my message is or how many songs we've got to sing and just stop what God wants to do. We need to make that room and do it as dignified and as safely as we can. But I just believe that there were people, there was healing there today. There still is. And uh, so, Father, we just pray and embrace each one who needs healing. There's, there's a few of us here who are stuck in hospital today too. Father, meet them out there. The power of God is present to heal. And sometimes we just need to stop going through the motions and embrace that in a dignified way. But when you come across these barriers, your thinking is one thing, but you've got to have a reason. You've got to understand your why. Why would I even go through this? Elijah had lost the why. Zerubbabel had lost the why. And God reminds him there's still important things to do here. You've disrupted the country with what you've done. But now you need to finish the job off. There are kings to anoint. There's prophets to raise up. There's a culture to change. Zerubbabel, with his temple, had to be reminded that God's house was an embarrassment to the kingdom while they still slept in their good houses. There's a reason. Jesus, you know, how could he make such a big ask like the one we read out before on the disciples? How could he call them out like that? Really? You're you're telling me to neglect letting my parents know what I'm doing so I can go and follow this thing? What could make him make such a big call on them and us? Because the world needs to see a better kingdom. 
The world needs to see people who are wired in a different way. Because while we sleep comfortably, billions are suffering. Because we hold in our hand the hope of the world, this gospel. Because our culture is anaesthetised to its need. It's, it's had an anaesthetic to church and, and the kingdom of God. It's been drugged on churchianity to the point where it can't hear God. It doesn't recognise that there's a relationship this God of the universe wants to have. So your input to the world matters right now. And we've got to understand the why of stretching and going through this discomfort. Otherwise, we just retreat back and we put our energy into careers and cars and sports and things. But God, he just calls us out. Just get on with it. Just get on with it. And it's going to cost. So I just want to pray with us right now as, as the band comes up and Let's just, let's just sit with God. Because I can, I can bring a word like this, and it's not a word of judgment in any sense. It's a word of encouragement. It's a word of offer. It's a word of power. So let's come before him, barefaced, not hiding. Father, we, we, we bow our heads in your presence. Father, I just want to admit that in many times, Lord, the reason why we don't get this is that the vision of the kingdom isn't presented before us and we're offered a lesser, comfortable gospel. And so we just retreat back and say, Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me as a leader and other leaders, Lord, who've, who've watered down what needs to be said. Lukewarm people don't change the world and the world needs changing. So, Lord, I really pray that you'd speak a word of life into each one of us here. And as I speak, you're just aware right now, you've been stuck. And I just want to lift any sense of guilt of that off you. John 20 says that those who are declared forgiven are forgiven. I'm, I'm with you in this as well. But if you feel like you're stuck, but you've been waiting for one day someone to just call it out and say, enough's enough, it's time to get on with it. You know it's time to live. You've put caveats on the contract. You've put all sorts of clauses there. And you just know that it's time to get unstuck. And yet you know you don't have what it takes to do that. You know, you've tried everything, you've done everything. But you know it's just where you are is unsatisfactory. While everyone else's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, can I ask if, if that is you, this is between you and the Lord now, will you stand in his presence? And I want to pray God's grace on your life. If you've been stuck in any area, emotional, relational, spiritual, circumstantial. Just stand before him alone. I'm not looking. No one's looking. Heaven's looking. It's God's job to call you out. It's God's job to equip you. Father, I pray for whoever would be standing. Lord, I pray your blessing upon their life. As a capstone comes out, the people cry out, bless it, bless it, grace, grace. And Lord, I, I proclaim grace over their lives. Lord, I just pray that you would help them today to know what is their capstone, what is their thing, what is their first step, what's their measuring line, so that they would know, I'm going to do something today which ensures I don't get back into that stuckness. But they're doing it, Lord, in faith that they can't do it on their own. So Lord, will you bring grace? Lord, will you bless it? Will you bless it? The capstones in our life. Father, for each one, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, will you fill them Fill them to overflowing, Lord. Restore the anointings 
of days gone past, that restore the fires that have gone out, reinstigate the flame of the Spirit in their life, fill them to overflowing, stir up their spirits like you did with Zerubbabel. Stir us up, Father. Lord, it's all or it's nothing, but Lord, we, we make that decision knowing we can't do it on our own. We need you. So, Father, release your grace in these lives. In Jesus' name, please be seated. Father, we love you. We worship you. We give our life to you. We thank you for your truth that sets us free. Sets us free. Bless us as we worship, Lord. In Jesus' name.